0: Welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast, a podcast about being gay and sober and not just on Sundays. In this podcast, we'll explore the ins and outs of being queer and sober in a world where drinking and using are woven into the fabric of our culture. This season, we'll be hearing the stories of addiction and recovery from sober gays from all over the world. Every story of recovery is unique in its own way, and every story deserves to be heard. So let's go. Hello, and welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast and part two of Frankie's story. I'm your host, Dave. As of the recording of this podcast, I have three years of continuous sobriety. Last episode, we chatted with Frankie about his rocky road to rock bottom from his first experience with Tina in high school to the self destructive patterns that led him to dealing drugs. Facility after facility didn't ease the pain that addiction had brought until the light bulb moment that he had been trapped in a system that wasn't going to help him brought him into the light of a new recovery program.
1: And I was like, holy fuck, no. You know, the past 20 years of my life have been me repeating the same pattern. And now I've hit a point in this pattern where it's going to be facility, facility, jail, 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 facility, facility. And so I made the decision to seek out real help and like make genuine changes in my life. I was put into a... um a halfway house in Jamaica Plain, uh, suburb of Boston. It was a shithole, but I loved it. Like, and I was there for six months, and I graduated from it, and I've gotten close with the staff, and I'm still talk to them. But I think the difference was I wanted something more this time, and so I, I did go back to Gay AA because I knew that there was love and support there. But I also knew that for me personally, there was some kind of disconnect. There was something about the 12 steps that didn't work that because I had tried to work them and I I would always get stalled and they didn't really make sense to me. So I was going to GAA for community, but. I was looking for alternative treatment methods. And Mm -hmm. so I was continuing to go to therapy with my regular therapist who I had been with for years. I did some smart recovery meetings and then I stumbled across refuge recovery and refuge recovery is a Buddhist based non-theistic program. And the meeting I attended was in East Boston. It was at noontime on a Friday and i went and you know i read the book and it was it was actually really interesting to me because it was something that made sense to me and i could wrap my head around it and it didn't seem too much like for me the 12 steps always felt like someone was asking me to clap my hands and get tinkerbell to come back to life mm-hmm, like yeah. if i prayed enough to this individual in the sky who you know even if i interpreted who it was they would fix me if i just wanted it enough or i let their will and i just i i always struggled with that piece because like i don't think i believe in god even a god of my understanding like that part doesn't work for me so this buddhist-based program didn't ask that it had a lot of self-imposed requests And I met my current AA sponsor, Holly there. Holly is a straight heteronormative woman. She looks like the biggest dyke you've ever met. She is covered in (laughs) tattoos. She curses like a trucker. She lived in Florida for years. She's from Rhode Island. She's, I love her. She's fantastic. And I asked her if she would be my mentor at Refuge Recovery. And she said, fuck no. And I went, what? And she was like, I don't do this shit. They They make me do this because she worked at the facility that the meeting was at. And and I kind of explained what my problem was with AA. And she goes, oh, perfect. Then I'll take you through the secular version of the 12 steps. And secular just essentially means without God. And so after years and years of thinking like I needed to follow it as it was in the alcoholic Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, as it was, I discovered that I had permission to look at it from a different angle. Um, And so she introduced me to the secular version of The Steps and uh, a book called Staying Sober Without God. And I got this book, I got the e-version, and I started reading it that day when we were trying to figure out if she was going to be my sponsor or not. And if I was willing to do the secular version of The Steps, because it was, you know, it wasn't immediate. I didn't agree immediately. Yeah. And I was in my halfway house at 2 a.m. reading this book that I could not stop reading, reading all of these feelings that I had felt in the rooms for years, because I had spent eight years in the halls of AA. And like, I loved those people. They were my friends. They were people I respected. I believed I never thought anyone was lying to me, but I felt like I was broken Because like I would watch these messes of a human walk through the door and they would be handed a big book and three months later they'd be lit up and they'd get it and they'd they'd be like so happy. And then, you know, I was around enough to watch them like get their lives together and and everything would get beautiful. And I'd be like, what is so wrong with me that I'm reading the same shit they're reading and I can't do it. I thought I was broken. And so being introduced to the secular version of steps in this book, staying sober without God, I was in my halfway house at 2 AM reading it like a fiend crying into my pillow because I wasn't broken and I wasn't alone. And there were other people who had been down this path, who felt the way I did and who needed permission to look at it from a different angle. Like I did. And like, here it was. And Holly became my sponsor and she brought me through them. And um, the book itself takes the 12 steps, prints the old version of the step, and then they walk you through what the step is supposed to do. Not like God will now remove your shortcomings, but like you will build behaviors that are opposite to the behaviors that you were using before that led you to feel like you needed to use drugs. It really like brought me into the equation It made me responsible for the change that I was going to have to make to myself. Mm -hmm. So that's where everything fell in line for me is I consider August 25th 2021, uh, my sobriety date. That was the day before I went into that treatment facility and I have been sober ever since. But the real difference for me is like, like I mentioned several times now, I spent years in AA. This is Mm -hmm. the first time I've made it through all 12 of the steps doing yeah. what they're asking of me and I'm a different human being. Like yeah. I I don't respond to situations the way I did before. I mean there are remnants of who I was before, but like I'm a grown up now and I go to bed each night proud of how I lived my day and when I go to bed and there's something that I need to fix like I go and fix it the next day because I'm a big boy who doesn't need drugs and who isn't in so much pain that I need to like quiet it with meth and a dick. And so that brings me to now. I'm living in a house in Dorchester owned by a man with 36 years of continuous sobriety. He is 82 years old and he opened his home in 2003 after his partner died. And it's been kind of like a revolving door of people in recovery who need a place. I've known John John is the, the one who owns the house. I've known him since 2009. I think when I lived, when I was in the program before I left in 2016, I looked at needing to move into John's house as failure as like, you couldn't make it on your own. So you needed to be taken care of. And now I realize that like, this is not that I believe in him, but this is a blessing. One of my closest friends lives on the second floor I'm coming up on two years sober, so I I don't have it all figured out. I don't think I ever will. But like when it gets to 3 a.m. and I'm having feelings about that boy that I was in love with for four years and I can't sleep, I go downstairs and I open his door and I get in bed with him and I wake him up and we talk it through. And then I go back upstairs and I go to bed. This isn't a failure. This is home. Despite being a felon, I was able to get a job at a high-end rug and carpeting store They trust me enough to give me a key and a code to the alarm. They know I'm a felon and they trust me with it. And they've actually promoted me to manager of the location. So I'm running it. It's a world I never expected to be a part of. Mm -hmm. It's high end and I'm white trash. And I (laughs) often feel like I am faking it till I make it. But like, I always say I went from selling drugs to selling rugs. I go to work on a daily basis. I go to meetings three times a week. I'm bringing another addict through the secular version of the steps. And like on the weekends, I go to parties with like 50 to 60 other sober people that I'm genuinely close with. And like, I have relationships today that I did not have when I was using Um, that boy that I was in love with for four years was the closest thing I had to a committed relationship. And it was so toxic and chaotic and crazy and now i have so much love and connection without the chaos even when i'm alone i'm not lonely Mm -hmm. Um, i'm still single as fuck but you heard it here people let's go anybody Anybody. I just joined Facebook dating. (laughs) I've spent the last year working on my body, which, you know, the idea of going to a gym before I got sober was insane. I'd rather just spend a six day weekend doing meth and then being, you know, heroin chic by the end of it. So like being healthy and happy is all new and every day is kind of an adventure. Now that you're in recovery, who would you say is your biggest supporter? And, you know, there is no one person who is my biggest supporter. I have so many. Mm-hmm. Are there people I am more open with and more vulnerable with than others? Absolutely. I have a good friend, Joey, who I text with every single morning. And when he asks me how I'm doing, it's not a simple, I'm good. How are you? It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm having this feeling or this happened. And then we talk about it and we do it for each other. And then I've got, you know, my crazy Brazilian roommate, Doug, on the second mm-hmm. floor, who you know who has helped me be comfortable with my body the way it is you know and I do consider that a part of recovery because like a lot of the reasons I used was insecurity feeling less than mm-hmm. and he you know walks around naked constantly i mean I, yes he does <laughs> yes, yes he, does. he does you know i've become more comfortable with myself because of him and like mm-hmm. that's been a huge part of recovery and then there's john with you know yeah he's 82 years old so Mm -hmm. not only did he live through the AIDS epidemic he's been sober for 36 years and like he grew up during the depression like so many pieces there are so many people in my life who are great supporters and then you know I'd be an absolute asshole to not mention my brother My brother has over five years of sobriety now himself. And, you know, we grew up, like I said, he tried to kill me when he would get drunk. He would, he was jealous of me and hated me and wanted me dead. And we have a relationship now where, you know, I can tell him I love him. So being sober has brought me back to my family. So there's my brother and my sister. There's so many people. There is no one person that I can pinpoint as the standout.
0: If you were going to give some advice to someone who is newly sober, what would that advice be? Don't be
1: afraid to make a friend. Nothing you say or do is going to sound crazy to someone else who has walked this line. There's nothing too embarrassing. My Tuesday night meeting um, of Alcoholics Anonymous, but it truly is. It's a who's who of who's been inside of me and who I've been inside of. Like there are so <laughs> many people that I have been fucked up with and done like horrendous things with that come to that room that like when someone comes in and they're like, no, I can't, I can't tell someone that I used yesterday. I'll be like, are you fucking serious? I went on a 20 day binge with this one over here. I think when we come out of the drug induced high, this like fake confidence we plummet into shame and we think nobody will ever understand what we've done Mm -hmm. and like there's nothing you can bring up in a room full of other addicts and alcoholics that someone else isn't gonna understand
0: if you could have one dream activity for sober gay sunday what would it be skydiving that is a great idea this has been an incredible interview. Your story is so inspiring. And where can people find you? So I, I think, you know, I am a
1: member of the Sober Gay Sunday Facebook group on Instagram. I am at Frankie Danky Doodle, Frankie with an IE. On Facebook, it's Frankie Consolo. And I'm wearing my nasty yeah. pig hat and my profile photo. <laughs>
0: I really appreciate you coming on. This has been really amazing. Thank you again. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into the Sober Gay Sunday podcast. Please feel free to like, subscribe, share, and comment. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sober Gay Sunday. You can also email me directly at SoberGaySunday at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay sober, guys. I'm so sick of small talking Tell me something you're dropping